You'd have to get the right spot so that the light doesn't kill you. There we go, I think. Right. We're a scattered crew tonight, aren't we? If I was one of those infuriating preachers, I would say, do you want to all come down and sit at the front? Yeah. But I'm not. Not that way, anyway. I'm infuriating in other ways. Um, I think you'll all agree that the Bay Church is quite an unusual church. Perhaps it's even unique, I would say. Um, we've never been a church that's been number conscious, you know, bums on seats type of church. Instead, I hope you will appreciate that we place a great importance on seeking after God's presence, both individually and corporately, and having a kingdom focus in church life. I mean, some years ago, a chap named Chris Burns, who's, hope oh, there you go, he appears on the screen behind us. Chris Burns, you recognize him, you remember him? He's an American musician, very prophetic. Um, he's been to the church twice, but on one of his visits, when he visited the bay, he prophesied that we as a church would get a significant influx of new people into the church. And lo and behold, it came forth. It happened. Some of you actually are a fulfillment or part of the fulfillment of that prophecy. And as a consequence of that, the building, this building, is now too small to adequately hold our full church body in one meeting. It's become too small. So just over 12 months ago, we started Weekend Church at the Bay with Saturday night meetings, what we're experiencing now. And it was an attempt to spread the load. It was an attempt to take some of the overflow and of the Sunday and spread it onto the Saturday night. And to make a better use of this resource of this building that we've got. Now I think it's truth to say that it hasn't significantly eased Sunday's problems. And in some ways it's increased the problem because it's attracted more people on a Saturday night who wouldn't normally come on a Sunday. But that's part of the problems of life. And this Saturday now, very often, I mean, it's, we're a bit light tonight, I think. I haven't had a count up. But very often we can attract between 30 to 50 people on a Saturday night that didn't exist before. Chris also gave another prophetic word on the same night that he said that the Bay Church will impact the local area in a positive way to the extent that we will actually make front page news. That was his words. We will have an impact in this region to the extent that we will, have, we will make front page news. And he said, when this happens, we are to contact him, no matter where he is in the world ministering, because he wants to come and join us and join in with what's happening. We sometimes get so kind of into the slot and of church that we don't realize that as, our as the prophetic words that have been given to us start to come to pass, we are really on the brink of some significantly exciting times as a church. I mean, the early church in the New Testament era was 
regarded as a bit of a strange thing, you know, a bit of a cult, a Jewish cult. You know, it was different to the normal, it had broken away from what was seen to be the pure Jewish religion, and it was this, led by this strange Messiah figure, it was a strange Jewish cult, and yet the people who came into contact with it couldn't deny the power and the presence of God that flowed through these people of the way as they became to be known. And as well as lots of people joining the early church, there was this group of people that used to hang around called God-fearers. Right? Now these God-fearers were believers who remained uncommitted to the church, but who were attracted by everything that was happening. And to a lesser extent, that has been our experience here at the Bay, that as things have begun to happen and as, as, as we have sought after the presence of God and people have tasted the real presence of God, we've attracted people to come and experience what's happening. So I thought we'd have a little show of hands tonight to find out, number one, hands up if you are a visitor here, but you actually belong to another church. Right? Come on. Hands up. Was that a little, little wave there, Irene? Right. Okay. What about this next one? Then you can put your hands down. This next one is, hands up if you consider yourself to be a committed member of the Bay Church family. See the lads the booth? Well done. Okay. I mean, we don't have a membership as such because it's essentially a heart-based thing rather than signing on the dotted line. And what about, hands up if we've got any God-fearers in our midst? <laughs> That's people who are uncommitted and who are on the edge, but they're just so attracted by what God is doing that they just want to come and keep an eye on things. You know, they're kind of, they're at the back of the crowd thinking, who are this crazy bunch? What is it all about? I think 2017 is going to be an interesting, if not exciting year in the life of the church. And therefore it's good to know who's part of the family as we journey together on what's going to be a, a year of challenge and a year of change. I mean, two weeks ago, when I last spoke, I said that when we receive God's revelation word into our heart and spirit, rather than when we accumulate knowledge in our brain, when we receive revelation word in our heart and spirit, the word we receive takes root. Right? And as we partner with that word, it births a process of change and transformation within us, which impacts our lifestyle, which impacts our language, which impacts our actions. I mean, in, in, in reality, that is what the Christian faith is all about. It is our opening ourselves up to be impacted by the word of God. We're not just here to accumulate theological knowledge. We're not just here to know what the rights and wrongs are. We are here to be impacted by the Word of God. And you don't do that via your brain. You do that with an open spirit and an open heart. So that therefore our knowledge becomes first-hand and experience-based. It doesn't become something that you talk about that you read in a book that somebody else has done 
Our knowledge, our real knowledge, is something which is real to us because we've experienced it. That God's done something in our life, in our life, not in the life of somebody else who's had a conversation with us. And that this, this fruit, this visible, this outworking is a visible sign of God's word and spirit at work in us and work through us. The church really has, over the years, got into, it's almost traditionally got into a rut where people come and they sit and they listen to information for 40 minutes or more, sometimes pretty turgid stuff, right? We are not here to receive information. You are here to have an open heart, an open spirit, so that God, by revelation, can speak into it. Very often, when God does speak into your heart, it's nothing that the preacher said, ironically. There's been times when I've, after, after a, I've spoken and been at the back with coffee and somebody said to me, you know, when you said that, you really touched my heart. And I thought, well, I never ever said that. Because if you've got the right, if you're receptive, if you are open in your heart and spirit, which is how we should be when we come to hear God's word, God can speak into our heart, and that is the place of our transformation. You are not here to filter everything through your brain. You are here to be, have an open heart and spirit. That is how we should be. Because that brings real relationship, that brings growing intimacy with God the Father, and a desire for more and more of his presence. And alongside that, alongside an appreciation of God and a desire for more of his presence, Alongside that comes an increase in what I call kingdom responsibility. Sounds a bit heavy, doesn't it? Kingdom responsibility. As we maturely respond to the practicalities of a faith-filled life. Because faith, a faith-filled life, if you can say it, we're keeping your teeth in, a faith-filled life will challenge you. It will not be just an easy ride. It will not be just like reading your, Heine, your Helen Steiner Rice, you know, calendar quote for the day. It will challenge you. And therefore, we need to be mature enough to respond to the things that God wants to outwork through us. So we need to have a desire for his presence, but we also need an increase in kingdom responsibility. It isn't just a joy trip that we're into. And this understanding of, of the balance between these two leads us into what's going to be our penultimate teaching in our identity and purpose series, because we're going to look at today's passage, which is 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 8. And that passage, if you've read it beforehand, or if you haven't read it, is all about money. Ooh. Or more correctly, giving. Or more correctly, cheerful giving. <laughs> giving with a smile on your face, right? It says this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves 
a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Cheerful giving. That's what Paul's talking about. Now he's not talking about tithing. All right? And tithing anyway, I think, has been a term which has been misused, abused, and misunderstood, basically. And therefore, consequently, for lots of people, it's totally lost its meaning. I mean, some Christians just use it as slang or shorthand for what they give to church. Even though, in reality, the amount that that person may give bears no relation to 10% of their income, which is what a tithe is meant to be. Because it all goes back to Melchizedek and Abraham, and Abraham giving 10% of what he had to Melchizedek, and which predated the law, and therefore, good evangelical Christians say, therefore, because it predated the law, in a sense, it was not wiped out by Jesus saying to do away with the law, and so you get into that kind of situation, you see. Now, I don't want to get hung up on tithing and on amounts, because this passage of Scripture that we've just read is more to do with our attitude towards giving rather than the amount. Now, there is a link between the two, but this is actually talking about your attitude towards giving. And as I say, it's either money or sex that you can't talk about in church, but it's probably becoming more and more that you can't talk about money. You can probably get away with talking about sex nowadays, but when you talk about money, because money's so blunt, isn't it? It's either, you add it up, it's either right or it's wrong. You know, you t- money is, you just cannot fudge money. You can say that you've got a nice, that you, that you love God, and in a sense that can be woolly. But money is so specific, isn't it? And therefore, it's something which people get a little bit hot under the collar about. So, how is your attitude to giving? Think about it. What's your attitude towards giving? And I want to say, this is particularly relevant for those of you who raised your hand and said that you were a committed member of the Bay Church. Now, you wish you hadn't raised your hand now, don't you? Thinking, dang. If I'd have known that beforehand, let me let's tip off the Sunday crowd. <laughs> you see, because we don't take a regular collection here at this church, do we? I mean, that's what some people find. When visitors come here, they think, well, this is rather odd. You know, they brought the money in their back pocket to put in the collection, and there wasn't one. And some people have come up afterwards and say, well, you don't take a collection here. Why don't you take a collection? So, well, are you a visitor? Yeah, I'm a visitor. Well, if you're a visitor and you go to another church, you should be giving to your home church. You shouldn't be giving to us. That's where your commitment is in that sense. You know, we don't take a regular collection. We don't pass the plate round. And in fact, I have a personal dislike of the pre-collection sermonette. Do you know what I mean? You've been to those churches where they have a mini preach before the collection to exhort the faithful to give, you know. So you know, when it, you know when it's coming, you know, we're going to have the collection after the next song and then the bloke stands up and you think, and then he preaches for 10 minutes to try and make you feel guilty to give more money 
to try and exhort people to give more money. And one of the reasons that happens, other than perhaps the church being money-grabbing, but other than that, one of the reasons that happens is because many Christians have an immature attitude about kingdom, about money, and about giving. We do. We have an immature attitude to giving. I've got a a couple of Bethel-based quotes here, which I came across. This is by somebody called Steve DeWitt, who just happened to be, I don't know if he's from Bethel, but he was speaking at Bethel. He was speaking to Bethel people when he said this. He said, Money is so much more than notes and coins. It is a window into our hearts. It helps us see which kingdom we are really treasuring, which king we are really serving. And Chris Vallotton, bless him, if you know Chris Vallotton, he shoots from the hip, very true, very blunt. This quote from Chris Vallotton. When it comes to giving, he says, some Christians stop at nothing. Blunt but true. Paul, in this passage, is encouraging his readers to be cheerful givers. But what does cheerful giving look like? And we've got a little YouTube clip to say, does cheerful giving look like this? Cheerful giving? Perhaps not. Now in the same quote, Paul, in the same passage, sorry, Paul quotes an ancient proverb which says that you reap according to how you sow. He says you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. You sow generously, you reap generously. Basically, what you do affects outcomes. Now, there was a couple in Acts 5 called Ananias and Sapphira. And if you know your Bible, you know that they didn't particularly give out of a cheerful heart. And they gave somewhat begrudgingly, and they lied about how much they gave, and as a result, they were both struck dead, which I thought was interesting New Testament pastoral approach to take. Because this wasn't Old Testament, right? This is New Testament, right? This is after Jesus has died and risen, you know. And this is within the context of the new church. Paul says, each should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Each. 
So it's personal. Should give what he or she has decided, right? So it's a deliberate choice before God in his heart. It's not a head issue. It's not a calculator issue. It's a heart issue, right? Each should give a deliberate choice what he has decided in his heart to give. And according to this passage from Paul, for those who give cheerfully and willingly, there is a promise here in Scripture is that God will provide all that they need to continue doing good. Now, note it says need, not want. Because sometimes there's a vast difference between what we want and what we need. And this isn't a money-making formula. You know, sometimes this whole approach of sowing seed and what, you know, you reap what you sow has been abused within some American church setups where it, almost to the degree where you, they have prayer envelopes and you write your prayer on and you put your money in the envelope and then you send the prayer in and then they open the envelopes, take the money out and they pray over the, over the prayers, you see. And it's inferred, but it's not said, that the more money you give, the more likely you are to be blessed. And if you give a lot of money, God will bless you financially because there's almost some kind of racket going on, you know, between you and God. There's some kind of multiplier effect that if you give $1,000, according to Scripture, God will bless you and you'll get more than $1,000 back. And people are thinking, well, I would, could do with more than $1,000, so I'll invest. It's like betting on the horses. You know, that's the abuse that this Scripture sometimes has been taken at. We're not talking about that. We're talking about what we, God says, what you need. That if your heart is right and you give at, with your heart right, you will never be in God's debt in that sense and he will provide for you. I mean, it's another way of saying something that Jesus said, which was, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's the order. And then all these things will be added to you. Right? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and then all these things will be added to you. Now, sadly, many Christians turn that on their head, on its head, and they add all the things that they want to their lifestyle, and then they give God either nothing, or they give God pocket money out of what's left. And that is what happens a lot. That the church has mimicked the world in the sense Christians very often with their desires and their wants and their expenditure is no different from the world. And that God has become that part of their giving which is cut off when they need to cut off that part of their giving. So if suddenly their cooker blows up and they think, oh, well, we need a new cooker, what they do is, oh, well, we'll just cut our giving. And God becomes that aspect of their giving. And therefore they replace their cooker. And sometimes they replace their cooker and then they find out that they weren't struck by a lightning bolt, that God didn't wipe them out for doing that. So therefore, they probably never, ever continue to give again. It's not an edifying word, is it? But it, this, this is the reality. This is the reality of being mature in the kingdom and kingdom responsibility, right? Our attitude to money and giving is a mirror on our heart and character. And character and spiritual fruit are crucial in a Christian's life. We are very often misled 
or overly oppressed by spiritual gift. Either your own spiritual gift or other people's spiritual gift. But if you think about it, gifts are freely given by God. They're a bit like baubles on a Christmas tree. Right? So God gives you a gift. Could be a gift of healing or whatever. And the bauble goes on your Christmas tree. Now that gift is not something that's come from the tree. It's not fruit from the tree that's grown. It's a bauble that's been hung on. So it's, been, it's come from God. It's been given, you see. And they look nice, but they say nothing about the health or the nature of the tree. It's a very nice tree, by the way, Fiona. Um, in fact, if you think about it, most Christmas trees are dead or false, aren't they? Now, you can be the world's best teacher. You can be the world's most inspirational worship leader. You can be the most accurate prophet where you'll say, come to the front, yes, you've got a... You live at number 42, you've got a green door, uh, your dog's just got colic or whatever, and you've got a bad hip, and I'm, in Jesus' name you're healed. You know? And you can be really impressed, but that's just a gift that God has given that person. It says nothing about their character. So you can, be, you can be the most accurate prophet, and you can still be immature and lacking in character. It's just the irony of church, and yet we're so open-mouthed like babies impressed when spiritual gift happens in the church. We shouldn't be. All it is is God giving those gifts. But those people are no more full of character than anybody else. And sometimes, unfortunately, a lot less. We are to be childlike, not childish. God wants us to mature and to allow the character of Christ to develop within us. It's character plus spiritual gifts. The Greek word here that Paul uses that's translated cheerful is only used in this one passage in the New Testament. Nowhere else do you find this word. And it's the same root word for the English word hilarious. Right? So what Paul is saying is you should be a hilarious giver. A bit like that chap on the YouTube video who wanted to, you know come out and put his money in, into the thing at the front. You should be a hilarious giver. You should be. Why? Because God is a cheerful giver. God is a hilarious giver. He delights to give in excess and abundance overflowing. He gave us his son. And he desires to see in us, his children, a heart attitude of cheerful giving. He wants it reproduced within us. We should carry the same DNA, the same character as him. Now I have to admit a particular interest in all of this because as a trustee here at the Bay, I have oversight of income and expenditure, right? So I see the money that comes in and I see the money that goes out. And I want us as a church to maximize our impact, our potential for the kingdom in this area. And I think most people would say, amen, so do I. That's what I want. And money used wisely can increase the opportunity for such an impact. 
But to use money wisely, you have to have it in the first place. But more important than that is the impact and the witness of a body of people who have a cheerful, kingdom-focused attitude towards money and giving. Now that witness would make a big impact in this area. So what I'm saying, bluntly, as a Yorkshireman, if you consider yourself to be a committed member of the Bay Church family, and you earn an income, I'm not saying if you're on benefits, but if you earn an income, you should be regularly and cheerfully, with a smile on your face, giving to this church. It's as simple and as black and white as that. And I would go as further than that to say that if you don't, I believe you have got a heart issue problem. Simple as that. That's my understanding of scripture. It is, comes from the heart, your desire to give. And I think, I'm not into Malachi and robbing God and all this type of stuff and the curses that will come upon you. I'm not into that at all, right? I'm talking about a simple attitude to giving. I'm not even saying how much. I'm not even saying how much you give is up to you and God. But you should give, and you should give cheerfully. Now, if this was a call for healing, right, I would say come to the front and be healed or whatever. Now, I want to ensure that you all have an opportunity to experience this firsthand, so I've even brought with me standing order forms and gift aid forms. Isn't that practical? So that if you want, you could take one away, and before God, you can consider your financial situation in relation to the church. And if you already give, you might want to review it, but if you don't gift aid, then, and you actually pay tax, then you are denying the church of 25% of what you give. That's the beauty of gift aid. If you, if you pay tax and you give to the church and you fill out a gift aid form, the government gives us 25% extra for everything that you give. I mean, it's a no-brainer, an absolute no-brainer. Now, many of you already do give, I know that. Otherwise, we would be sat here in the cold and the dark. But if you do fill in a gift aid form, then that has to come back to me. We have to keep him on file. You don't have to fill in a standing order form. You can take the details off the back and do it via the bank and whatever. But I'm being serious. I'm being serious, you know, that as this church grows and as the demands of the kingdom grow and as the opportunities of the kingdom appear that we can take advantage of, we need to be cheerful givers. It's part of the kingdom responsibility side. It's all right just seeking after the presence and rolling on the floor, but the other side of the coin is we have to be responsible and mature in relation to how we see church. I want to end with a quote from my friend John Crowder who says, I believe a primary reason God lovingly does not entrust us with more cash is because he cannot trust us with more cash. <laughs> if we're not faithful with the little, how can we be entrusted with more? In our greed, we would likely kill ourselves with millions if we do not learn the joy and freedom of generosity which is the very frequency of our new creation hearts. More than filling our bank accounts, 
the Lord's primary concern is for us to realize the freedom of giving, a condition of the heart. Amen. So what I'll do is I'll put the forms, which is the same form, I've just print, double printed it, on the stand just at the back. So if you want one, you can take one out as you leave. Okay? Over to you, Paul. <laughs>